everyone, we're back with the District 3 Podcast, episode 183. My name is Irvin. And this is Elena. And it was Elena's birthday the, uh, a few days ago. Happy birthday, yeah, Elena. thank you, hey. thank you. Uh, lucky number, age? 24. 24, the big 24. Uh, still super young, um, compared to me and other people. Um, but what did you do for your birthday? Um, I got to spend time with family, go to a nice restaurant, go shopping, um, and just kind of really just kind of grounded myself, kind of needed that this year, you know? Yeah. 24 is a weird year, isn't it? Like, it doesn't really change anything. I mean, you can't really rent a van until you're 25, yeah. I believe. I yeah. believe 25 is rent like... Rent a car, yeah. Your insurance goes down when you're 25, but like 24 is just like mid, you know? Just kind of... Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Thanks. Thanks for telling me. It, it already right. feels like a mid-year, so I'm, I'm all right with that. I can ride with that. That's but fine. hey, you're alive. <laughs> That's true. Making it to 24. Yes. You know, there's some folks Plus that didn't make it to, like, Richie Valens didn't make it yeah. to 18 years old. Selena didn't make it at 24. I think Selena passed away yes. when she was 23. On my birthday. Oh, she passed away on your birthday? Yeah. That's the anniversary? Yeah. Nipsey has hustled, too. So. Oh, they, they have the same. Which, talking yeah. about Selena, I think we're going to do an episode in the next week or so about Selena. We're going to bring in some Selena, big Selena fans from Northwest Arkansas to talk about you know, her legacy and, and what she means to them. So that's going to be a cool episode, so look out for that. Um, and did you get to watch Sanctuary City already? I did. Oh, my gosh, yes. On it Tuesday. It was intense, wasn't it? It was um, surprising, a good plot twist. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it was my first play, so I've never experienced, like, raw emotion and raw feelings like that, you know, in a play. So, so that was really fun, and I can't wait to go back, honestly. And it was, it was crazy because it's not a regular play set, like a regular play layout. Like, it's in the middle. You literally mm-hmm. just, there's like a, like a square around the, the play, and, and, and uh, you just kind of watch people. Sometimes even the actors come up, like, right next to you when they're talking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had Anna and Brennan here uh, f- like two or three weeks ago. And uh, they told me that they had a, a third actor in the play, but they didn't want to give me any any details. And I understand why, after watching the play now, yeah. why they didn't tell me anything. So if you haven't checked it out, you still have a few days, I believe. April 9th. April 9th. Well, actually, you might not have a few days. By the it's time the this seventh. episode comes out, oh, yeah. <laughs> by the time this episode <laughs> comes out, you might have like one day, maybe. But if you if you do manage to hear this before it ends, April 9th is the last, the last day of Sanctuary City. So go check that out. Um, today we're actually joined by someone who we've trying to make this episode work for a while now. So I'm glad you're here. Um, are you are you still currently the director of the uh, is it Southwest Regional uh, Chapter of Zero Hour? Yeah, Arkansas. So I'm the director of Southeastern chapters, and then I founded um, Zero Hour Arkansas, the Arkansas chapter. With us today we have Amelia Southern Uribe. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Like I said, we've been trying to make this interview happen for a while. The last time I think that we connected was when we were going to talk about the Latinx term uh, and uh, what's more inclusive for folks. So I kind of I think I want to start the conversation with that. Yeah. Let's talk about that since we didn't get to talk about it on that other episode. Um, what's what What do you feel about these terms? How do you feel? What do you, What do you identify as in regards to like la- terms that identify Latino folks? Like, what do you? Yeah, I think I've made the transition to start using Latine. Um, with the E being like a gender neutral term, but also like something that we've seen like estudiante mm. is like gender neutral as well. Instead of like having to almost like tack on the X and mm. Latinx is a very popular term, I think, especially like with my demographic and college students and even like high school students that I grew up around um, using that word and like 
I still use that word sometimes, sometimes interchangeably, but kind of like knowing that that's what people know, I guess, as the gender neutral term for Mm -hmm. um, people that identify as like Latino, Latina um, individuals, but I'm non-binary and being able to have a term that isn't easier to say to, I think, like Latina just kind of rolls off the tongue. Mm -hmm. Um, But also just like using my roots of like being Colombian, but also being able to articulate what it means in terms of like not only like my gender identity, but even my queer like sexuality and being able to like mesh those worlds together Mm. since they're so intertwined. And I guess what what started this conversation was, you know, what the governor did in order to try to restrict folks from using the word Latinx without really knowing, like, what, like, the importance of it for us. Because one of the things that I've said is that um, we don't talk about Latinx, like, on our our dinner tables usually. Like, it's not a topic of discussion. Only 3% of folks use the term Latinx because the majority of the other percent don't really care. while they were trying to make it seem as if like the other 97% was completely against it. It's not even like that. Like one of the things that I continue to say is we don't talk about it in our dinner table. If we're going to use some sort of of identifier, like my family uses either Latinos or like Hispanic, Mm -hmm. you know, but I don't even use Latinx with my mom, with my sister. I use it more in, in places to be inclusive. Like whenever I'm speaking at a panel or, or at a school, I'll use it to be inclusive, but I understand why maybe it might be good to transition to Latina just because it does roll off the tongue yeah. better. Um, and uh, I just want to be inclusive. And if I have to use a term that's going to make people feel part of, 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 of this community, then I'm going to use it. Yeah. It doesn't hurt anybody. So I don't know why, you know, the, the small opposition to terms like, like Latinx or Latina, like why they make a big deal about it. It doesn't hurt anybody to do to just use it for, you know, to make people feel welcome and, and part of the group, part of the community. Um, so I guess we, we both agree on that because I see you nodding your head. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I think also, like, it's the same thing with pronouns. And I know pronouns recently have been more accepted and, like, widely used. But I think that can even be example of, like, how we can transition. And I know it's different within, like, different cultures. But I think it starts with a conversation and a dialogue of, like, this is something that we're adapting to and it's hard when like I know my parents are very progressive they're both in academia or something like that um but it can be hard to fight like machismo culture or like and things of that nature of like breaking barriers and almost like non-traditions um um, so yeah I think that transition especially when younger generations are using it that might set a tone for future um conversations I guess what are people using at the university, like Latino folks that you interact with? Latine, but ever since the ban of Latinx, it's interesting because if we hold an event or do some sort of program that relates to like Latine people, we can't use or market events like with the term Latinx. Oh, really? Yeah. Because you guys are funded by the state. Oh, wow. I didn't so think about that. Do you know if that's something that... Uh, like the university took the initiative to, to do, to change, or if that was like pressured by government to actually make that change? Do you know? Have you heard about that? I don't that? know, but I know like, so I do university programs. It's like a university-wide student activity fee um, program that's funded by the student activity fee. 
And I was meeting with my advisor one day asking, like, can we use Latinx when we, you know, talk about it? She was like, no. Mm. Um, so I think that maybe the advisors of, like, Office of Student Activities and um, directors, um, people that have a little bit more power in conversations with state officials, maybe it's coming directly from those conversations with okay. administrators. But I'm not sure where that pressure is coming from. First Latinx, then TikTok. Can use TikTok and <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> like yeah. I think like uh, my sister-in-law was telling me that at a uh, University of Arkansas Fort Smith you can't get on TikTok. They won't let you. No, same at Fayetteville. Same in Little and here. Maybe yeah. on this Wi-Fi because this is uh, funded by. No, for the real. I'm luckily I like I don't get on the Wi-Fi, so I can still <laughs> get on TikTok <laughs> on here. But um, that's crazy though. Yeah. Like man, like I don't I don't get the whole like. You know, people talk about like small government to talk about their political parties, and but then they want to control so much. They want to control mm-hmm. us. Oh, you can't use TikTok, or you can't use this term. Like, there's there's a bunch of, of folks needing mental health resources and and and, and housing, and we're focusing yes. on these little petty little things, yes. you know, for no reason. A hundred percent. There's other issues that we can be focusing on. Did like, is there any conversations at the university that you've heard, you know, besides the Latin next term? Is is there is there folks you know that are revolting against you know not being allowed to use TikTok on on school grounds? Is that some is that even something of importance? I don't think so. I think a lot of people just turn off their Wi-Fi. Okay. And use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's ways to get around it, but. No, I haven't let's heard. Let's not talk about this because then people <laughs> people in, who will be listening from oh. the state legislature will yep. be like, wait, what? You can turn your <laughs> Wi-Fi off? <laughs> Start controlling AT&T, T-Mobile. Uh, I crack up at some of these like hearings that they have in D.C. when like the older folks oh, are trying to, the they'll be like, so the TikTok, the TikTok. <laughs> the TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, bro. Or when they you, were like, how come whenever I log on, I only see these dancing kids? And they're like, well, that's what the algorithm is giving you because yeah, you're you st- a weird creep. You need to stop <laughs> watching dancing. <laughs> I've never had a dancing kid on my page. Me like, no. I don't think. <laughs> mine's, know? mine's like, mine's a combination of, of soccer, politics, professional wrestling, and, and activism. That's my algorithm. Yeah. So we did we did this funny thing once in my, uh, I forgot what party it was at our house. I think we had a, like a hocus pocus party for like the new movie that came out on Disney yeah. last year. And um, my friends, there was like eight of us, and we were like, Hey, let's do something. Like, let's let's show each other what our algorithm looks like. <laughs> so, so I pulled out my phone, and I feel good about my algorithm. You yeah. know, nothing weird there. So I showed it to them, and then there was like two or three of my friends, which were many nameless, didn't want to <laughs> didn't want us to show us their phone. I'm like, what you watching? Uh, but anyways, um, so you do a lot of a lot of good work in in the university with with these programs. Uh, we mentioned Zero Hour. Mm-hmm. So Zero Hour is a national is it a national or is it an international organization? It's international. And you started the chapter what, what year? I started the chapter in 2019 when I was still a sophomore, um, ongoing junior in high school um, since I went to high school here in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. But I brought um, a registered student organization to the University of Arkansas. So, yeah, in, I guess, 2021. And what does Zero Hour do as a, like, besides the Arkansas chapter, which we can yes. touch on that a little bit more, just in general, mm-hmm. like what, what is Zero Hour? Yeah, so this is Zero Hour is a climate justice organization focusing on like the theory of intersectionality. Um, and with that, Zero Hour focuses on uplifting and amplifying marginalized communities and voices since the climate crisis and any ecological crisis specifically um, impacts disproportionately Latino, black, indigenous mm-hmm. communities. And so finding a way to create like a network 
um, of youth voices, but also marginalized voices and seeing the intersection of that to work together. And is that the reason that it like that drew your attention to be like, hey, I want to create a chapter here? Is that like I'm, I'm guessing you probably saw different organizations and for some reason you identified the most with this one? Yeah, 100 percent. So I actually grew up in Miami, Florida. Um, and then the Deepwater Horizon spill impacted my, my local community, um, and that was in 2010. And ever since then, I never really had vocabulary or kind of verbiage to talk about my feelings around the climate crisis, so like climate anxiety, since I was like seven years old at that time. Mm-hmm. And then in 2017, um, a lot of climate politics were going on. We just had pulled out of the Paris Accord. Um, the, United S- the United States did. And... Um, at that time, I was getting really invested in not just like learning about the climate crisis, but learning about the politics of it. And so 2019 comes along and I find this organization that is holding a Miami summit for youth climate activism. And it's called This Is Your Hour. I really resonated with their message, not only just because of it was a youth alliance or organization, but because um, the founder is Colombian. And yeah, so that was my first like connection. I've never really, especially Miami has a larger Colombian population than Northwest Arkansas, but um, going back and forth between Miami and Fayetteville, um, I was able to connect with a lot of the communities there because like they were South American and seeing Jamie Margulin, the founder of This Is Your Hour, being not only Colombian, but queer and just one year older than me was like, all these different connections. Yes, all <laughs> these different connections and yeah. identities that just really resonated with me. And so being able to talk about not just like our passion for climate justice, but having the vocabulary and connection to that community was mm-hmm. really important to me. So what does it look like for you in regards to the work with, with climate justice? Because, you know, generally speaking, a lot of the people that will be listening to this maybe have never gotten involved with anything to do, you know, with yeah. advocating against you know climate change yeah. uh, and uh, climate justice. So what does the work look like for you of what you're doing uh, for this work in Arkansas? Yeah, so my biggest thing specifically with Arkansas is like just getting people to talk about it because that's the biggest thing, especially with Arkansas's rates um, of education. We rank 47th in the nation, um, not only for access, but just general quality of education. And probably for a bunch of other things, too. <laughs> yeah. Education, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, so I think being able to, like, give people a platform through specifically art and the music as a way to storytell about climate justice is my biggest avenue. Mm. Um, so what that can look like is, like, holding concerts that intertwine, like, entertainment, mm. but with education. Mm. Um, so that's been my biggest thing, um, just like starting a conversation, but then with conversation, giving a platform for like mutual aid. And so my freshman year um, of college, when we started like bringing zero hour to college campuses, um, we gave out 500 plus menstrual cups, but we didn't just do that. We also educated people and like started a conversation about sustainability and how that can look like and not just like your everyday life, but moving forward in your career too. Mm. So um, I think college specifically, targeting young people that are already passionate about climate justice, just giving them the platform through things that they may do in their everyday life um, to talk about things and to understand them. But yeah. Mm. Have you learned 
any history about Arkansas's environmental racism? Yeah, so right. that's that's a great question. Um, I think there's a lot of under-researched climate justice in Arkansas, but one of the most notable cases um, of like environmental racism is Crossit, Arkansas. Um, so in Crossit, Arkansas, there there's a plant, uh, the Georgia Pacific. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the paper company. Yes, the paper. poisoned the whole. Yes, <laughs> yeah. and it was like, I think 63% of the population was black, yep. and the EPA was just like, okay. <laughs> and a lot of those people suffered from cancer. Yep. And, and I think it's harder to look at here in Northwest Arkansas. I've been trying to look at Tyson and yep. the, the effects that they've had in the environment here. I grew up in Rogers, which is 30 minutes yeah. from here, and like, like Atalanta, which I always thought was Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> I thought um, that too. <laughs> yeah, there's an extra T in there. I mean, we grew up knowing that that wasn't an actual pond. That's where they just dumped all the, you know, chicken yeah. poop and, and bad stuff there because the Tyson plant was right across the street from it. And now oh it's completely gosh. upgraded and it's beautiful and yeah. big. And, you know, th those are things that I think uh, we kind I of didn't know that. But yeah, it used to smell awful there. Mm -hmm. Like it used to smell really bad. And I used to run cross country and like we'd have to run over there. Yeah. And oh no, like pe we were, people would go into the water, and you're like, why would you like? It yeah. was gross. And then they came wow. out with like then they came out with like wings and stuff and that. Yeah. Turning into a chicken. Uh, um, but yeah, no, that's wow. really awesome that you've looked into that. That's something that I I uh, get a little bit passionate about, and yes. especially that Georgia Pacifica one that people don't ever know, and it's it's terrible. I mean, these are um, they also disproportionately hit um, Asian Americans out here. Yep. Um, a lot of the dog food companies that are out here, I mean, you got to think about living next to a dog food plant mm -hmm. and how that affects your smell, your air quality, yeah. um, those little things. Th that affects your quality of life in general. Um, you know, like uh, there's people who are stuck there forever and didn't know that air doesn't smell like this all the time. <laughs> yes. So. I think that's also like really, that can become like a, versus like rural or urban area issue too. It's like if you live your life in a rural era area and you don't have the ability to travel out or like, you know, it's so remote from other locations that sometimes like you're not gonna know the difference between your quality of air versus like maybe a town over. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. 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 Wow. What do you think, um, what do you think the desire to want to do this kind of community work roots from for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, like growing up in Miami and then like experiencing climate anxiety, but also like natural disasters or pollution. Um, I think that was my biggest thing. But also, I've also just been passionate about social justice all my life. Like growing up with a single mom who's an immigrant mm -hmm. really just like made me like the person that I am, but also an advocate for a lot of things. And specifically, like... Is your mom still a professor at the U of A? Yes, my mom is a professor at the U of A. Just okay. got um, full professor, so shout out, mom. <laughs> but, yeah. I've been Facebook friends with her longer than I've oh known my, you. What is your mom? <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is your I have, mom? I, I have this ongoing joke <laughs> yeah. with, with a lot... Because a lot of people, for some reason, <laughs> I'm friends with their mom. <laughs> And then I meet them like three years or four years That's later, crazy. and then I and I've I've tweeted, I've <laughs> jokingly I'd be like, I'd be like, I'm probably friends with your mom before I'm friends with you somehow, <laughs> and that always happens. And then whenever I whenever I I forgot when I started following you on Instagram, but then I think I saw your mom post a picture of her and, and you on yep. on Facebook, and I'm like, <laughs> same Hold last up. name, kind of look like each other, probably related. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then, I, and then I, think you, uh, I think you mentioned it on, on Instagram or something, and I was like, such a small world, but yes. that's an ongoing joke for me. I bet you a lot of these guests <laughs> that we bring in here, I'm going to be friends with their mom before I'm friends with, <laughs> with them. But uh, your mom seems to be pretty involved in the community as well, yeah. right? I think she even has some history at KUAF too, right? Yeah, she does. Uh, sound Perimeter. She used Okey to dokey. host a radio show. But yeah, she teaches music um, okay. in bassoon, but her focus is on... Latin American music, but also creative justice. So she does a lot of cool things. Wow. But yeah, I think my parents played a big influence in like what I do and what I want to do in the future. And I think at the end of the day, like climate change and any environmental justice issue is a very personal issue to me, but to a lot of people. And like our proximity to like land, but also our family plays a big role in that too. And I think mm. that that continues to be like why I do things. I mean, you hear a lot of things about oh, we got to keep the earth clean. We got to make things beautiful, like future generations. And it's very true. Like that's always been a central thing for a lot of climate activists is like their family, their place, their relationship to that land. Um, so yeah, I think just seeing like my mom's obviously a creative justice advocate, but then my dad's a city planner. So he's always been very invested in sustainability and how to make community like a very available and accessible thing to a lot of communities. So and yeah. you're in your in your what year at the university? I'm a sophomore. A sophomore? Yeah. Um, how do you see your activism like uh, adapting to like outside of the university? Like what do you yeah. see yourself doing when you're out? Well, I'd love to keep doing climate justice work. I think this is like the most fulfilling thing that I can do. Or just even working with community organizations. Um, I'd love to continue my education. That's also something that's really meaningful to me is like go as far as I can. Um, and take advantage of all the learning that I can. So I'd like to go to grad school, maybe even get a PhD, but um, keep specializing in environmental justice and maybe do some research um, in the South, um, specifically with like in relation to Latino communities and the effects of climate change and environmental justice, um, specifically with access to green space or proximity to like toxic waste and um, corporations. So. I will say, um, I'm a journalism student, yeah. I'm about to graduate this May, and the hardest thing about looking at environmental problems when it comes to minorities, especially whenever it comes to um, like Latinos in the community, mm -hmm. is a lot of them are illegal immigrants, so there's no information available. Census data, not there. Yeah. They have like a general idea, but like looking at the Delta, where a lot of farmers are, mm -hmm. you know, there's a high rate of homelessness because of the fact that um, most of the people who live there are immigrants. Yeah. And, you know, they just go there whenever it's farming season. Mm -hmm. So they're only there during certain amount of times and maybe are couch surfing or don't really have a home. Um, you know, and then they move. They're constantly yeah. moving. So so that's that's the hardest part whenever I think it comes to looking at that. But that will yeah. be amazing. And if you stay down here, that'd be great. Don't yeah. leave us. <laughs> you know, we need more people yeah. like you here. Yeah. So. Thank you. No, yeah. I, I know the work is going to be hard, but I really believe that, like, if we talk about it, the more that – and I know, like, breaking barriers and being able to, like – have conversations is not enough, but like doing the work and staying here or just even like being a liaison to other places um, and still like talking about Arkansas and talking about like having different identities and being from the South, it's super important to me. What Thank are you. some of the barriers that you found uh, organizing in this kind of work? Like is there yeah. a lot of, is there negative feedback of people? Cause you know, climate is yeah. like, 
I can see the opposing side just being like, what you trying to do? Like, Darren, like, <laughs> what you think you're just one person going to be able to make like a big difference in this, you know, climate field? Uh, yeah. So yeah. What, what are some of the pushback that you get? No, actually, when I first started organizing in 2019, um, I got so much negative pushback, it felt like. But I was also 16, year old, 16 years old and I might have just been thinking about it too much. But um, I think when I first started, I got a lot of like, what is environmental racism? No way the environment can be racist. It's not a person. It's like, that's a made up term. You're spreading a liberal agenda, mm. all of these things. But I think that was the biggest um, barrier it was like people already were skeptical of climate change and like the effects um, not being super immediate. And then introducing terms like that are already super polarizing, like climate anxiety or environmental racism or environmental justice, these terms that already intersect with like a lot of things that shouldn't be polarizing but are, um, I think might have been my biggest barrier um, to like increasing information about these terms. And as I got older and more vocal about the terms and like talking about them more fluently, I guess, and like just saying them, um, I think that increased a little bit more of like acceptance by again like opening up that dialogue to like what do you think about the climate are you noticing anything and then before like throwing out like big words like environmental racism um I think that helped but that and then also I think people just being skeptical of the power of young people I feel like I really had to fight for my place um, when I was younger and more or less now that I'm a college student um, and I feel like I have a bigger platform to talk mm -hmm. about issues, but being in high school and being very loud about what I think and uh, my experiences, I think it almost felt like people kind of assumed it was an exaggeration or mm -hmm. um, m made up to an extent um, just because thinking about like how other communities outside of Arkansas can be affected by mm. the immediate consequences of pollution or toxic waste or environmental disasters um, was something that maybe was foreign to them. And I can see how it can be like a bigger, it can be more difficult to for your work and climate than just any other social justice work because, mm -hmm. you know, for me, I started organizing when I was 17. Yeah. And, but I was focused on immigrant rights, yeah. undocumented people, mm -hmm. you know, helping them, providing resources and stuff. And I also felt like I was just screaming, you know, to like the air. Just, yeah. Just like, hey, someone listen. Like, yes. there's this going on. Like, we need to do something. People were like, ah, like, you're eight, you're 17 years old. Yeah. And then now I'm 31. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm 31 now. Still yeah. screaming the same thing. <laughs> yes. You know, like, things haven't changed. I was just doing it when I was younger. But yep. I still... I'm still talking about things that are important and things haven't changed since then. So I guess the advice that I can give you is that when you're 31, you're going to be screaming the same thing. Yeah. And and uh, it's the other people, the people that don't see that doesn't matter what your age is. Mm -hmm. These are important topics and you're advocating yeah. in your own way based on your experiences and stuff. But it's still important, the work that you're doing. Thank you. That, that means a lot to me. I think. That's how I felt for a long time. I was just screaming into the air, kind of hoping someone would listen and kind of shouting out into the void. But I think I've had more positive, like, reception this year. And like, especially, like, I feel like there's been a lot of coverage about um, environmental issues and also just, like, 
people know what the term environmental racism is more so now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I hope to be screaming the same message when I'm 31. <laughs> or, you know, maybe things will get better <laughs> with the climate before then. So, yeah. Here's, here's to hoping. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask, so you're doing this work currently. You said you're a sophomore at the university. Mm -hmm. um, and you want to continue doing that work afterwards. Um, do you feel that maybe, like, changing the, the atmosphere from the university, I feel like it's a lot of you know, educated mm -hmm. folks. And there's educated folks outside of the university too. Yeah. But like outside of the university, I feel like there's probably more skepticism. Yeah. There's probably people that are less aware of the effects of climate change. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like in that advocacy work, it does become harder when you leave the university. Yes, 100%. And like that's also how I try to look at different conversations too. Um, like, I try not to say the word climate change um, outside of, like, certain areas or dialogues, especially, um, like, that is another polarizing word, just because I think if you can start the conversation, like I was saying earlier, like, what have you noticed changing in your area? Are you seeing less birds when you walk outside? Like, things like that, um, and being able to, like, start it from, like, again those different words um and just kind of having the same conversation but in a way that's palatable to them um meeting so. people where they're at yes exactly that's something that i use all the time and you know here's one thing like when it comes to like community organizing mm -hmm. and stuff there's a lot of folks that read a lot of books and yes. are very well educated mm -hmm. and uh, know everything about you know from marxism to communism right. and everything but then it's like when you talk to someone from the community that is not in that level yes. of awareness that you're in, like, can you communicate with them? Yes. Can you find a way to meet them where they're at? A hundred percent. And that's, that's, I feel like, me personally, I feel like that's what separates, you know, really good leaders f to folks who are trying to lead but maybe not as effective because they don't have that, like, communication, that way of, like, meeting people where they're at. So what you're yes. saying, I guess you having that that vision of be of, of understanding that you – I don't want to say it's not dumbing it down for people. It's not no. that. It's realizing where they're at, what they understand, or emotionally where they're at, too. Yes, 100%. And I also want to acknowledge that, like, in no way, like, is it patronizing to, like, talk to someone to where they're at. It's yeah. it's just, like, like you said, meeting them where they're at and, like, having an open conversation about, like, what they think and, like, hearing their perspective. So yeah. that's definitely – I totally agree with you. That is one of the most important things that community organizers can do is just, like – starting that conversation but also like if you're a community organizer you need to be working with the community you need to be seeing like what their needs are how they differentiate from yours and just having that ongoing like very consistent conversation did you ever look into um uh, or read any part of like the green new deal did you ever look into that yes uh i will admit i'm not super educated on it um i know a fair amount but not like intricacies mm -hmm. of the policies but that was one of the pushes that zero hour made i believe in like 2019 2020 mm -hmm. um was educating young people on the green new deal um and that was was it presented by aoc yes aoc okay okay yeah and i think part of it included uh solar energy yeah which is which can be very complicated too mm -hmm. just because you know it's complicated when you own a house yeah. And uh, and then like you signed this contract uh, to have these solar uh, panels outside your house for electricity. And then when you're trying to sell your house, you either have to like 
uh, get the contract to the next person. Mm -hmm. So it can be a little bit complicated. I wish it wasn't that complicated. Yeah. I wish we could just get solar panels and not have to worry too much about like how you're going to pay it off if you want to sell your house. Right. You know, it just becomes a little bit complicated for folks that want to do good, you know, but might not be doing good economically or might be concerned about their 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 money just in general. It can become a very complicated thing for them. But, yeah. you know, what do you think in general are, are things that besides like the advocacy work that mm -hmm. you're doing, is there anything that someone that's listening today can do on their own lives to, you know, to better uh, climate for for our world, for our uh, earth just yeah. in general no of course i think also like to your point about like solar panels like a lot of environmental issues or like solutions that we think of are very complex but there are things that we can do is like in our everyday lives mm. um like i was saying earlier to kind of better the earth but also like better strengthen your relationship to your land and your community mm. but i think the biggest thing is if you're a young person or um still figuring out what your place is in life is like explore green job options there are green jobs in every sector like if you're in journalism you can do green journalism or covering environmental stories um, if you're in engineering you can figure out um, how to make things more sustainable how to use energy in a way that's um, sustainable um, i think finding that intersection between your work um, and environmentalism is something that everyone can do mm. um, regardless of what field you're in and then also of course Taking the time to do sustainable practices is a big one. Um, you know, swapping out plastic bags for things. I think everyone knows that, but it does, I think, generate a lot of good. And then also participating in your local elections, I think, is very important. Regardless of how you vote, being able to be registered um, and using your voice is really important. And then I think also educating yourself and um, if you have the means, donating to causes, donating to organizations, um, but also just enjoying the outside, I think is a big mm -hmm. thing. Being able to get outside, take in um, your area, the green spaces that you have access to, and just enjoy the sun, enjoy the mm -hmm. birds, enjoy all the green that you can. And I don't litter. Yeah, don't litter. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the one that yeah. I like. It's a basic one that everybody yes. knows. You know, don't don't throw things into the into the ocean in the lakes. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the most basic one that I that I come to. Um, yeah. So I saw that you. I think it was December of 2022. Yeah, you got recognized for a student leader of the month I at did. the University of Arkansas. <laughs> Can you talk about that and how you felt to get that? Uh, that be recognized that way? Yeah, so in December, I was recognized for Student Leader of the Month. I thought that was incredible, um, but how that works is like, it's student leader of the whole university. Um, mm. So recognizing one leader from all the different organizations, but I thought it was incredible, not only just to be able to be recognized for the work that I'm doing consistently, um, but also being able to talk about my passions and have a platform for that but I think specifically what <laughs> made me really happy was I also had the chance to recognize like my mentors mm. um, when they covered the story and when they gave me the opportunity um, so I think recognition is super important but also acknowledging how you got to the places that you are mm -hmm. um, and the people that have supported you and my story as well and the important the, uh, one of the other important points that you just made is when you get that platform to use it to yes. talk about important issues. So that's that's something that, you know, I always try to capitalize on myself. So uh, it seems like you're doing a lot. 
million. Like yeah. I, I think you're doing a lot of good work and, and, and I get excited whenever I see students, you know, doing stuff, not only in, in the university, but like in high schools and stuff. Yes. And, and, uh, hopefully that passion kind of, you know, you're able to take that outside of the university yes. and, 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 and accomplish even greater things outside of the university as well. Um, so I hope the people that are listening today, you know, can learn about your work. But if they want to connect with you, where's the best place to reach you? Yeah, I'm um, on Instagram at Amelia Southern with two ends. And then if you want to learn more about Zero Hour, it's at Zero Hour Arkansas. And if you ever want to come to an event, we actually have our Earth Day Festival coming up on April 21st okay. from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, get the chance to get involved with your local communities, but also some support some student activism and listen to some music and have some free food. Hey, so follow Zero Hour on Instagram. I'm currently following them. They have a lot of good uh, graphics, a lot of good <laughs> information for folks that just want to learn about like stuff that's happening around the world, around around Arkansas and around the country. Um, so definitely follow them. But Amelia, thank you so much for making the time to be here. Thank you. I appreciate everything that you're doing. And once again, I'm excited to see you know what you do in the future. But no pressure, though. If you don't want to <laughs> do that, then if this is it. Like it's it's okay too. You've done <laughs> a lot, true. you know. So no, I'll I don't want. I'll come back and push you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to normalize. I don't want to normalize like pressuring that. Oh, you have to. Because one of the things, one of the things that like my wife and I talk about is that like, well, she she kind of makes the bigger points on this, of you shouldn't be appreciated simply by what you do. Like you're yeah. enough as an individual, as a person. Like your humanity, it's enough to be recognized. It's enough to be appreciated. It's enough to be loved. So you doing more work doesn't necessarily define you, but we appreciate everything that you've been doing and that you will. And I know I know based on your passion, you will continue to do. Um, but Thank you. for everybody listening, that was episode 183 of the District 3 podcast. My name is Edwin. And this is Elena. Signing off.